0: Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode four for November 17th, 2021. I am Jason Snell, and I'm joined, as always, for five episodes, even though this is only episode four, by Julia (laughs) Alexander, the Senior Strategy Analyst at Parrot (laughs) Analytics. Julia, hi, how are you doing?
1: Good. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I have to say, I really think it's funny that you and I do a podcast about, like, you know, streaming media and business and billion dollar businesses making all sorts of decisions and all of that and what we don't talk about is clearly all the things that we actually have in common in all the things we're interested in in our lives and i, I just think it's really funny because you tweet about sports you tweet mm-hmm. about uh like the new spider-man trailer that came out and a bunch of other things about like marvel and intellectual property and, and you know it, like but not, not just the business side of it but also like like being really excited for that trailer or or your pitch for a harry potter series which we talked about like the the inevitable harry potter series and like we have all all this stuff that we don't talk about and i guess what i'm saying is maybe someday we'll do like a a bonus or something where we talk about that stuff although i'm not sure anybody wants to hear you talk about the new york jets i'm sorry about that that's that may be a bridge too far
1: I genuinely, I also don't want to talk about the New York Jets outside of my apartment where I have all these New York Jets blankets from my partner who is a diehard Jets fan.
0: Um, My condolences (laughs) (laughs) to everyone involved.
1: Listen, I think it'd be very fun to get on and just talk about non jets sports teams, sure. and sports that we love,
0: sure, that would be fun. um I know it makes some people sleep, but we'll we'll make it a bonus or, or something and then and then yeah i I really enjoyed uh like i said your your harry Potter pitch you're like basically Warnermedia call me, I got an idea and uh and your comments about the Uh, the spider-man trailer which we're not going to spoil you know if you don't if you're in media blackout it's fine but you (laughs) made a point about like what the fandom anticipates in the trailer which was not in the trailer and uh also the idea that you know you're get you're getting hyped to go see it and setting up people to go see a screening which is like it's been a while since we did stuff like that and i'm feeling the same way which is like their movies i want to see in their movie theaters right and it's it's great
1: it's so it's so exciting to be back, and it's also so debilitating because I forgot what it was like to wrangle eight people yeah. in like the middle of December to go do something.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is it is a problem. I, they, welcome to my life of scheduling podcast recording ske- sessions with a large panel too. It's the same thing. I've been using this week. I've been using strawpole.com, which is not bad because oh, yeah. you can put in like all the dates. And I used to use Doodle, but Doodle uh, kind of screwed itself up. So now I'm trying Strawpole out. Uh, but yeah, it, we're we're at that point. And I'm excited because that's. I mean, like, I'm a I am a lifelong, essentially Spider-Man fan, so I'm very excited that that movie is coming out. And it's it is. Yes, there is this other level that you and I operate on, where where you mentioned the, you know, Sony doesn't really have a place for that, uh, to to force into a streaming strategy, and so it's gonna be like you gotta see it in theaters. 90 day window. Just it's gonna be there in theaters for three months. Go see it if you want to see it. They're not you know, they don't have the the Disney strategy, right? Of let's pull it ahead to forty five days or thirty days and get it on our streaming service. Like
1: they don't they're like, no, go buy a ticket. Would, would you say would you say, Jason, it's your most anticipated movie of twenty twenty one?
0: Oh yeah, I think it probably is. <laughs> I think I, th- I think it is. I'm tr- I mean, they moved a lot of movies out of 2021.
1: That's fair. That is a very good point.
0: I think it probably is. And I'm saying that as somebody who, as a kid, one of my very, very favorite movies was Ghostbusters. And there is a Ghostbusters sequel coming out this week that I have heard nobody talking about. And I- I'm like, well, I need to see that. But the Spider-Man movie is the one that I'm hyped to see.
1: There's no doubt. about it. Yeah. I keep forgetting there's a Ghostbusters movie coming right? out with like a kid from Stranger Things yeah. and like I mean and Bill Murray and I just keep forgetting yeah. that it exists.
0: I know, I know, it's a problem. In fact, we were watching the oh, you'll like this. We were watching the U the uh, no the Canada Mexico. Uh, men's soccer yes. uh, qualifying match last night from Snowy Edmonton. My friends in Edmonton talked about how, because Edmonton doesn't snow. See, look look at how off topic we are up here. Edmonton's very cold, but it doesn't snow that often. But boy, it snowed. And then they had to clear the field uh, where the CFL team plays for that. <laughs> and my point is that on the sidelines, they had a- little ads and little sideline ads for Ghostbusters Afterlife. And my wife turns to me and says, why... Does it say Ghostbusters on the sideline? And I said, Oh, there's a movie in two days. (laughs) She's like, Really? I'm like, Yeah. She's like, Oh, yeah, there was a trailer five months ago, wasn't there? I'm like, Yeah, that movie, it's coming out. But who knew? Like, people aren't, it's just, I don't know. I think this is a combination of our fractured kind of media ecosystem and the fact that we don't have, you know, COVID kind of broke a lot of the kind of uh, patterns of you go to the movie movies and you see the trailers and the hype builds and all of that. And it's all kind of busted right now.
1: Yeah. I feel like too, I don't know if I love Ghostbusters so much and I do wonder though, if like there's an audience for Ghostbusters for young Ghostbusters fans, as opposed to like myself and yourself who are just lifelong Ghostbusters (laughs) like versus do kids care about Ghostbusters? I have no idea. No idea. And I just have no idea.
0: No idea. Yeah. People who who lived through that time and and yeah. Oh yeah. That's a favorite of mine. I'm like, I went to a minor league baseball game uh, earlier this year and it was Ghostbusters night, just totally coincidentally. And like, I got every single reference they made they're playing music from the soundtrack (laughs) between innings and i'm like oh yeah i know like i knew every single reference that was being made and i thought i am actually kind of a super fan of a thing that's basically not a franchise there was the sequel that didn't really do anything and there was the reboot that didn't really go anywhere and and it it is so they're trying it again but it's funny because it's it's not really a franchise more than it is just that movie that core movie so well we'll see i'll go see it i'm sure i haven't seen (laughs) eternals yet i need to go see that too so I, I just me- watched
1: that on the weekend and uh, thought it was like a like, you know 5.5 out of – I thought – and and I feel like this will re- will result in um, listener email, but I uh, felt like it was the most Zack Snydery of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, like I thought there was I, just something there that I was like, oh, this makes me feel like I'm watching, to an extent, a Snyder movie. But having, I mean, I had, fun. I
0: had fun. Having not seen it yet, I will say you, that uh, people don't get to complain that all the Marvel movies are samey. And then yes. when they try something that's legitimately weird and different, complain about it being different. <laughs> and yes, it, Eternals yes. is a weird choice for a movie. Like, it's to greenlight it. For,
1: yeah, like, as comic book fans, it's a, it's a, one of those rare comics I still find, like, as a fan, where I have to re- remind myself, I'm still doing Wikipedia holes on, like, basic Eternals knowledge. Yeah. I'm like, wait, who is this again? Like, how does this... Look, versus, you know, I don't do that with Jack others.
0: Kirby, he, he dropped a lot of acid and wrote a bunch of comic books <laughs> in the 70s, and Eternals is <laughs> one of them, and that's just... When he wasn't creating, uh, you know, Dark Seed and the New Gods for DC, he was creating Eternals for Marvel. It was all kind of the same stuff. He did a 2001 a Space Odyssey comic book at one point. It's Jack Kirby. He's just a very brilliant guy who took a lot of drugs and uh, invented a lot of weird stuff. Um, okay, that, king. that that is our yes, the king. Um, that's our that's our totally off-topic segment. Let's talk about uh, things that actually happened uh, that are germane to the uh, the downstream ethos. Uh, and I want to start with a piece that you wrote. On Puck Puck News, mm-hmm. um, it is behind a reg wall. You can you can get a free trial of one of a week or of like read the article, which is what I did. I was like, oh, I would like to read Julia's article. <laughs> so you can do that if people want to uh, want to read about it. And it was uh, basically about Disney Plus. Data came out that subscriber growth has slowed. They've done really well out of the gate to build it up, but now the growth is slowing. Mm-hmm. And your point was that to go beyond parents. And fans of Marvel and Star Wars, they got to reach new audiences and they got to think uh, about Hamilton. Can you explain sort of like what Disney Plus needs to do and what, why Hamilton is a good example of, of it?
1: Yeah, so for a long time, I feel like myself and, and a few other industry people um, have talked about Hamilton as kind of this aha moment for Disney Plus and, and for Disney, where when I used to be a reporter back at The Verge, I had um, gained access to a recording of an All Hands that CEO Bob Chapek had right around the time Hamilton came out. And what he said on that call to Disney employees was essentially... Hamilton not only brought in a huge number of subscribers for Disney Plus um, in the US at a time when people were looking for something to do because it was smack dab in the middle of the pandemic, but it brought in a new batch of subscribers. So this would have been people who didn't care about Star Wars or who didn't necessarily have kids. Um, And it brought in that extra group that they've been trying to figure out how to kind of corral. And what we see now is them trying to get back to that. And and just to give a little bit of context, I should say – Hamilton saw a, like, 641% increase in subscribers that premiere weekend. Um, And then, even more importantly... To Disney and to Disney Plus's uh, a strategy, they saw a 30% cancellation rate after a month compared to other what we refer to in the industry as benchmark subscribers. So those are people who just sign up regularly outside of any major premiere, um, they signed up for Disney Plus. And so what does that suggest to us? It suggests that people are interested in coming to Disney Plus for new content outside of the main franchises, but if there's not enough of that they're not going to stick around they're going to cancel and all of a sudden disney plus which makes its money thanks to recurring revenue doesn't have recurring revenue they see a little bit of a peak and then it drops off significantly um so when we talk about it now, when we look at the most recent earnings, where they are not adding as many subscribers as they would have liked, where they actually saw a pretty big decrease in subscribers out of Hotstar, uh, Disney Plus Hotstar in India, which is, maintains about 40%, uh, 37 to 40% of all subscribers. So it's a pretty big piece. Um, the question is, well, why aren't they growing as fast as people might have expected? Why aren't they adding the subscriber numbers that the uh, Wall Street might have hoped for? The easiest answer is that they are not a four-quadrant service. They are not appealing to uh, groups of people outside of their core demographic. Now the core demographic is big. It is basically, do you have children? Do you like Star Wars, Marvel, Pixar? Like, it's a really big demographic. It's why Disney Plus has grown as exceptionally as it has. And no one, even myself included, is saying like, Disney Plus is done for. We're saying, and I'm saying specifically in this piece, that if Disney Plus wants to compete with the Netflixes and wants to compete um, with, oh, really just Netflix in that kind of level, they have to have additional content that is outside of their four main, five main franchise pillars.
0: Right, which they built. I mean, it's strategy one is how do I build a streaming service really fast? And the answer is they got the content and they did it. They did it. It's like, well, now what? The answer is, well, you got all those people do you want to be even broader? You need more stuff. And I think that my knock on Disney plus all along has been that their original content strategy has been kind of lackluster. Um, It's been a lot of like, but you get the Disney vault and you know mm-hmm. they they're very they were very slow to crank up with originals they seem to be cranking that machine a little bit better now but when you look you cited that there are 1300 original-ish uh pieces of original content on Disney Plus versus Prime Video which has like 8000 so it's a, the, the catalog is small the originals are not uh really flowing as freely as maybe they should be and and most of those originals are in those core areas not uh and and in part in the U.S. the problem is Hulu, right? Like they they are, yeah. they do have another content machine making content with broad appeal, especially to adults. But none of it's on Disney Plus. It's in the U.S. at least. It's all on Hulu
1: yeah and this is the disney situation that the company kind of has found itself in which is this idea that everything new that they're adding and, and to your point exactly jason they've hit some production woes as other companies have they just 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 covet kind of catching up it's pushing things back it's that's something that they're dealing with there are naturally reshoots on projects things happen sure um but to your exact point when we look at Amazon Prime Video and Netflix libraries and um, even the Hulu library, a lot of that is not even just necessarily original. It is like that licensed acquisition content that they have on their on their platform that appeals to people. They come in for the new brand the brand new original, then they have, you know, like 30 rock or whatever to watch and they go back to that. Um what disney kind of is not doing especially in the united states because of hulu is they're dividing up all their originals and license where they go cool we're not gonna have licensed stuff on disney plus really because that's our original stuff and anything that we think is really cool original but a little bit more adult is going to go to uh hulu so that's like your fx content that's whatever certain movies are
0: right only murders Um, in the building you know exactly all that stuff exactly
1: and Hulu and at the same time that they're trying to beef up Hulu to try to beef up the bundle to really beef up its subscription services in general you've got this other major piece of the puzzle which is Comcast which Comcast has a 10% stake in Hulu There's questions about whether or not Comcast, when the deals are up, I believe in 2022, 2023, um, will bring their content, which is, you know, a a notable part of the Hulu library, to Peacock exclusively in the United States. Or if you're Comcast, are you saying like, no, we want to drive up the valuation of Hulu because Disney's investing in it and the valuation is going up? So that, that time that we eventually when our stake is bought out, we can get the highest amount of revenue possible from that deal. So there's all these questions that Disney then has to figure out, which is like, well, are we going to lose this? What does that mean for Hulu? What does that mean for Disney Plus? What does it mean for the bundle? And I think Hulu right now is less of a necessary buy than Disney Plus. But Hulu has enough new original series hitting a bunch of these different audience groups to bring in a a wide breadth of subscribers. If we think about Disney Plus, to your point exactly, Jason, like there's much there's much more uh, many more shows coming out, but they're all within the same subscriber base. They're all within the Marvel and Star Wars and Pixar group. Those customers are there. They're guaranteed eyeballs like you don't have to worry about them. They're already paying month after month, which is great for retention. You're not going to lose many customers But when you're looking at how do you grow and one option, which is the obvious option, is to keep launching in different territories, which they are doing. But after you've done that, you have to play the game that Netflix is kind of playing, which is we're going to work with local content and we're going to try to appeal to basically everyone. We are going to be the CBS meets the HBO of streaming services like that's their whole thing in order to continue growing and retaining customers. And I think Disney is at a point where they are beginning to do this, where Disney is going to, I think they're doing 340 local language shows, original series in like the coming years. They're looking into more original films in different languages. They're looking to appeal to a wider group, but they're also so boxed into these, these, these franchise pillars that it's hard for them to expand in the way that it won't be as difficult for HBO Max or Netflix to continue doing.
0: What do you think in the U.S. at least their strategy is going to be? Because it, it is hard to turn down the money of selling Hulu as a separate thing, right? But it does make Disney Plus um, less essential in some ways. So do they do they cross the streams and have some stuff from Hulu show up on Disney Plus? Do they create some sort of um, you know separate content stream where there's maybe less edgy but still like only murders in the building could have run on Disney Plus, I would say, versus something like the FX on Hulu stuff, which is more edgy. It, mm-hmm. it, it feels like it might fit. I mean, it's still more for adults, but like, so do they do that? Do they basically go to their studios and to other studios and say, we want content for Disney Plus and Hulu separately? I, I just, it's a, it's a tough place for them to be because in the US, they, mm-hmm. they don't want to turn away Hulu. It, it They spent a lot of money to buy it, but if they just specialize on hulu they are also limiting disney plus's viability
1: absolutely and and you hit the nail on the head which is this is a very us specific question and i think the part of the answer is how well has star performed for Disney plus in territories where star is right where they're able to say, we're going to bring modern family or other ABC and Disney channel, um, and Fox productions. We're going to bring them over here. We're going to make that an option. So if you have, if you give people the ability to like watch Deadpool and modern family, Um, you know name other things on top of you know only uh only strangers in the building oh sorry only murders in the building like when you give them that option there's more for them to watch after they tune into hawkeye or after they tune into the book of baba fett and in in the u.s do you cannibalize your hulu subscriber base and bring that stuff over to disney plus to continue disney plus growing or do you try to find a balance to grow the bundle Mm. and i think from what I, I have heard in my reporting days um, and from what I see from my days now as an analyst looking at, da- at data all day, it is this. Co- it, there, there's potential for crossover to happen. There's potential to say, okay, we need to give people just enough. And Disney Plus has kind of figured this out where they look at The Simpsons, they look at National Geographic, and they're like, this is outside our, our major franchises, but it works because it's doing a job and it just overlaps right. enough. There's enough for that to be done with Modern Family. I would argue, and they own that, and they can kind of go. Well, they it's a, again all there's there's rights issues. There's huge things happening all the time. But once they retain the ownership of that, you know, is that something that you put on Disney Plus because families are going to want to watch Modern Family? Mm. And then we figure out how to make Hulu as an originals place, something that people go to. And then there's also the licensed content where Disney goes, yeah, we're going to continue striking deals with Viacom and Comcast, or as much as and Sony to see what we can bring there and continue building up Hulu while also giving Disney Plus subscribers just enough to keep them happy there. But I think also a question I have for Disney quite often is. You really want to sell the bundle, which I think makes sense. You know, if especially if you are someone like myself who does use ESPN Plus, Hulu, and Disney Plus. Like I use all of them. Uh, so when you look at the bundle, the most difficult thing is that it's hard to work within each streaming service to get to the other. And I think we have to remember that it's so difficult to get someone else to, to get a consumer to open a secondary app once they're in yeah. an app.
0: So that was going to be my follow up question, which is one strategy here: if they like the bundle and and generally like the, the idea that you're building um, essentially Hulu or Star Plus or whatever on top of Disney Plus, and and they want an extra revenue stream there, there's nothing technically stopping them from upselling the a bundle to with Hulu inside the Disney Plus app, and even letting you watch Hulu content inside the disney plus app they could do that they could they could make it so that you could watch the hulu app or you could watch it on disney plus or at the very least they could make it that that like they could say hey you just watched this here maybe you would like this show that's on hulu like they could they could integrate their stuff better um even if they were separate services and that that's that's maybe a place where there's opportunity for them
1: Exactly. And I'm sure that there are technical product issues that I don't have the ability well, to those grasp.
0: It's separate code bases for the apps, right? Exactly. They don't, they don't completely own Hulu yet. So until they buy out Comcast last little bit, they, they don't completely own Hulu. So I'm not sure they can swallow it whole. Um, and I'm sure that there are also probably some rights issues where some of the content on Hulu can only be on Hulu because the contract is for Hulu. That all said right um you know the the amount of power that you have and i'll say on hulu too going the other direction to be able to say when you get to the end of something here's a thing that you would like to watch and not be constrained by the fact that it's actually on your other service um and that maybe even some of it is viewable uh as a teaser just for Disney Plus members in the Disney app but then they upsell you on Hulu maybe the first season or the first few episodes like there's there's kind of cross service marketing that they could do but it probably has technical hurdles and contractual hurdles and uh I would be I'd be shocked if they didn't get there because that that's a stone that is yet unturned that they could turn over and make some more money by by saying you should watch Only Murders in the Building on Hulu and we'll let you watch the first four episodes or whatever right now just to get people to know that that content exists.
1: Absolutely. And I, to your point about contractual stuff, I mean, Disney and Comcast are already in this battle about what the actual valuation of Hulu is and Comcast would like it to be at the highest of its value so that sure. when they get paid out and Disney's going, ah, "It's actually not worth that much, um, <laughs> all things considered, despite the fact that it's profitable for the first time and we're driving revenue. Um, so to, for if Disney starts to your point exactly, Pushing stuff to Disney Plus and saying, hey, you can watch an episode here. Comcast can go, well, we're taking attention away from Hulu. This drives the value down. This drives, you know, kind of cross promotion with our shows. Um, so but for stuff that they uh, own fully and by the time that if especially if they do, you know, we don't even know. Disney could pull a, a, a total 180 and say we're not interested in Hulu. I don't think that's going to happen. But they could come out and be like, yeah, we don't care about this anymore. But let's say hypothetically 2024 comes around, 2023, 2024, they buy the full stake, they have 100% owners, everything on Hulu, that is theirs is theirs um, outside of licensed content. Could you then say like, we're going to use Disney Plus and Hulu as a way to integrate, you know, documentary specials or an episode here to like showcase what's happening and, and you don't have to leave the window? I think that makes a lot of sense. I think... Hulu needs to get to a place, and they are, like, they've definitely done better in the last year, year and a half than in the last, I would say, five years before it, of having these type of in-demand originals that make people even want to look at Hulu. And I think between overall deals they're doing with showrunners, with what they're doing um, uh, with the FX on Hulu, with what they're kind of, how they're using Hulu, how they're showcasing new original series that are really interesting and, and are growing in demand – Hulu now becomes a stomping ground, but I think the biggest question about what Disney does with Dis- uh, with Hulu and Disney Plus going forward is going to depend on what happens with all those rights deals. Like, if Viacom and Comcast and Warner all decide at the same time that they – or not at the same time, but they all decide, like, they want to pull their shows off exclusively – and again, I don't think that makes sense because they rely on so much revenue coming in from those licensing deals, especially Comcast uh, or NBC Universal, I should say, and Viacom CBS. But if they do that, Hulu, which has the most demand, you know, per share as a catalog for non for not- for licensed titles, all of a sudden drops, and now you've got this whole battleground of well, what is Hulu? And so that's why they really need to amp up their originals, right? Um, and I think in doing so, they can then get into a place where they can cross-play, cross-promote, cross-market, the Hulu, Disney+, um, uh, four-quadrant system. Sure. Uh, what was interesting to me on the call, though, I, this didn't make it into the puck piece, but I thought it was really fascinating to me. I was tweeting about this, was Bob Chapek, who's the CEO of Disney, said one area that they have highlighted as a room to really grow was preschool entertainment. And I, I had this moment, Jason, <laughs> where I was listening to the call, and I was like, you guys own Mickey Mouse. Like, you, you're, you're the preschool. Like, you guys really are. But to the, I think that was the biggest, you know, non-acknowledgement acknowledgement that YouTube and Netflix and, and, and Nickelodeon still in, yeah. in the recent years have just pulled ahead of Disney in that area.
0: Competition. You, you did make the point. Competition is fierce mm-hmm. for young kids. And you think about Disney and you think about kids. So I was like, yeah, but we're not talking about a movie. We're talking about uh, TV shows. Uh, and, and if you look, every streamer knows it. Apple TV yeah. Plus has their deal with Peanuts, and they did the, one of their first original content launches was not just those high high quality dramas that they announced, but uh, a kids show, and mm-hmm. the the HBO Max deal with Sesame Street and Viacom CBS. So Paramount Plus has the whole Nickelodeon catalog and brand name at their disposal. So mm-hmm. like you can't sleep even if you're disney you can't sleep on having lots of content because there are a lot of parents who are frazzled who are plopping their kids down and putting on a favorite tv show and i i don't think disney's catalog is as as strong at uh you know eight seasons of dora the explorer or whatever as it is at uh, a, a beloved movie which is you know that's that's an option too but like it's not like disney doesn't have kids content but but yeah that is a that is, there is there is a lot of money and, and, being put into this from every angle cuz they all know how vital it is for for parents to have that content for their kids
1: Exactly. And the way I always, you you know, I and many other people in the industry have thought about Disney is Disney was real, is safe for families. It was a safe bet for families because kids are going to want Disney Plus and they're going to want that content because kids rewatch over and over and over again. Sure. It tends to be why Disney movies show up, you know, pretty high on, on weekly lists is because kids are rewatching. They're going back and forth. If all of a sudden... Netflix, though, for the new generation of kids who are growing up without Disney Channel being a cultural zeitgeist, without a lot of this stuff, you know, outside of Marvel and Star Wars, where if we think about Disney, what has become cultural zeitgeist for Disney in the last fifteen years is Pixar for sure and Disney Animation for sure, but is really Marvel and Star Wars, which is older than uh, five six. It is it is an older kid or twe- t- um, tween teen, a young adult uh, programming, and so if Disney doesn't have the kids. And the kids today are growing up without the idea of, diz- of of Mickey Mouse as a cultural zeitgeist, and their new cultural zeitgeist is Netflix. If parents are like, great, I can pay for one less service if they're not into Star Wars and Marvel, and I'm going to get everything I want on Netflix, my kid's happy. Disney Plus becomes less of a necessity right. that we wanted. I think that group is still pretty small. Like I think that's why we're not freaking out, mm-hmm. is because most people do want Disney Plus to some extent for some reason. But it's definitely a consideration where Disney goes – we used to own preschool. It was us and Nickelodeon, and now we are trying to fight back for preschool attention.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about how like the Disney Channel did a pretty good job and that content's on Disney Plus of, of programming to sort of like tweens. Like there, yes. are, you can see the places where Disney is strong, but in the in the really young, like you said, preschool, it is uh, more of a battle there. And and uh, yeah, it's fascinating. Like it, mm-hmm. you can I talking to people who are maybe don't have kids. Uh, or maybe their kids are are older than this. Um, a lot of people say, "Oh, I didn't realize when they when they look and th- what name a streaming service is like." Oh, like Apple, they're spending money on kids' contents. Like, yeah, they are, and HBO is, and like e- everybody is spending that money, and and you may not know that it's mm-hmm. happening. Uh, it's not the kind of stuff that wins Emmys, <laughs> but <laughs> they're spending the money for a reason, and and uh, HBO, uh, Warner Media funding. Sesame Street is that's one of the reasons that that is happening. Absolutely. Uh, um, let's we we talked about Hulu in the context of it being a U.S. strategy for Disney versus their their kind of broader um, strategy. Um, I wanted to stick with international strategy for a minute and talk about mm-hmm. something that oh it broke yesterday uh, uh, the day before we recorded this and it, everybody's like you this might be of interest to you and we're like uh, yeah we're on it don't worry about it so. <laughs> It's a fascinating story. So Star Trek Discovery uh, it was the first wave of these new Star Trek shows that uh, that CBS back in the day used to build CBS All Access. It was one of the first CBS All Access originals. And at the time, and I talked about this way back when on the TV Talk Machine podcast, um, at the time, Les Moonves, who was at the time the CEO of, of CBS... Um, sort of boasted about his strategy in relaunching Star Trek and building CBS All Access by saying that he got Netflix to pay for it because what he did was he sold the rights outside of North America uh, for Star Trek Discovery and any spinoffs to Netflix, and what he what he said was Netflix essentially was paying for the the uh, production of the show and that every dollar that cbs made and every subscriber that cbs got into cbs all access was essentially free because the Mm -hmm. show was paid by netflix it turns out the show is more expensive than they thought and so they had to pay for some of it netflix didn't pay for all of it but still it was the idea that like we're going to launch this thing in north america on the back of a lot of money from netflix who bought it internationally well less is gone (laughs) <laughs> uh cbs is now part of viacom cbs with other people in charge they have international aspirations and the fourth season of star trek discovery premieres tomorrow as we record this november 18th so guess what happened in the background and this is such a great a de- deadline had the details of this deadline.com and there'll be a link in the show notes in the background CBS, Viacom CBS, went to Netflix and said, we would like to pay you off to take the rights back uh, for Star Trek Discovery. We want to pay you because we've got Paramount Plus in some other countries and we're launching it in more countries next year. And I think their rationale was the more original content we can we can launch with the more valuable it'll be. And the more people are likely to pay for our service. And we're about to let Netflix burn a season of star Trek before we're, before uh, we're ready to do this. So could we pay Netflix to buy them out from the Netflix perspective? I've got to think you are sitting pretty right from Netflix is like, sure. Viacom how much you want to pay us to not show your, your show internationally. (laughs) By the way, it launches Thursday, and we have the rights, so we'll just start rolling it out. And good luck. And Deadline says they came to an agreement. Obviously, they they money changed hands. Uh, Paramount Plus basically is paying Netflix to walk back to get their product back, get Star Trek back. But the net result also is that everybody like they literally had Star Trek people at a convention in London last week, talking up the next season of Star Trek Discovery. And then, mm-hmm. so the announcement comes out and it's like, well, guess what? It's not going to be on Netflix internationally. It's going to be on Paramount plus, uh, next year sometime when the Paramount Plus's various kinds launch throughout Europe. Um, and so fans, essentially fans get, do you know how to use BitTorrent? Cause that's <laughs> the only way you're ever going to get this show, uh, until 2022 is if you pirate it. It's an amazing, like from a business perspective, I totally understand why they did this. Um, and they're they're really reaping they're they're having to sow I guess what Les Moonvis reaped when he made this deal where he sold out their international strategy because he only cared about their U.S. strategy, mm-hmm. um and they care about the international strategy so they want to take it back, but I feel really bad for the fans and all the people involved in the production of the show who didn't who this is above their pay grade and the fact that it happened at the last minute like they've been promoting this. <laughs> Uh, for, for ages now that this show is coming back, and at the last minute, outside of North America, what we got was a big yoink.
1: <laughs> and I, I feel like, I, I know that you are you are a Star Trek person. I am. I, am... I have
0: paid for CBS All Access slash Paramount Plus <laughs> since day one because of Star Trek. It, I admit it. I freely admit it.
1: So I am less of a Trekkie, Um, and so I imagine that any new Star Trek season is very exciting, but it feels like, based on what I was just kind of reading on the Reddit and on on different forums, it feels like this is kind of a a big season, too. Like, this is even more of a kind of, you know, little gut stab to fans Mm -hmm. who are like, I can't, yeah, to your point, unless I figure out how a VPN works, or unless I (laughs) figure out, you know, how to get my way into America somehow, like, Mm -hmm. I can't watch this.
0: Move to America, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, it's, um, and it was sold. It's funny, too, because it was sold as a Netflix original. It was marketed in all other countries as a Netflix original with a little Netflix original tag at the front because that's what happens when you buy something and run it overseas that's from America or vice versa. You call it your own original because it's premiering on your... It's silly, but that's what they do. And in other circumstances, Netflix would really get look like a bad guy here, right? Netflix would be like, what do you mean you're not showing it? What do you mean? But well done to Netflix um, because I feel like they come out of this sort of like maybe not uh, smelling like a rose, but like clearly this is CBS Viacom being b- blamed and Paramount Plus is going to take the blame for all of this. And Netflix is like, well, don't look at us. We don't own Star mm-hmm. Trek. But even though they totally sold it <laughs> away, right? They they totally took the money and ran. Um and I'm sure, you know, the, their leverage, CBS uh, Viacom leverage was probably that that deal was going to expire at some point anyway, and they were going to lose it regardless. So why not just – It's not, it doesn't belong to them, and it will go away eventually. So why not just um, get the money now? Um, so I, I get that it's a two-way street there, but it's really important because they wanted it f- for their launch of Paramount Plus in Europe. So – yeah, I mean, it's bad for fans, and I get it. And and I, I think in the long run, because people are saying it's like the bad old days, right? Where international, something would air in one country, and then it wouldn't show up in the rest of the world for a year. And and those days are, are mostly over now because of piracy, honestly, uh, and the insatiable appetite of every streaming service ever to run everything at all times, right? But in the long run it'll just be on Paramount Plus in Europe and those things will launch and it'll right. be okay you'll have to pay for it you'll have to choose to pay for it instead of Netflix which you were already paying for so that's a bummer but at least it'll be there the the problem is that the, the product's not ready to go that's that's the the killer is right now they are withholding their show because their service isn't ready and that's i i get why people are angry about that because that that's like it, it it's a little bit, feels like amateur hour, right? Where they're like, well, no, 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 right. no. We want to withhold this show because it has value, but we can't actually show it anywhere. We have to withhold it for months. Um, right. That's, yeah.
1: I mean, this is the issue that Friends got into with HBO Max when the deal ended with Netflix and Warner said, right. we are paying $450 million for the rights to the show. Our service is not launching for seven months or five months at the time, excuse me, uh, but we're just going to, not have it anywhere and people were like i guess i'll buy it on itunes and apple very coyly was like you can get the whole thing for 40 bucks Uh if you want it's on sale um the, the the question that like viacom and netflix are playing with each other is viacom cbs it very obviously to anyone who's listening and i know jason of course as a trek you will know this star trek big deal for Viacom CBS. Star Trek is one of those rare shows where we have a new season, we have a new show. It's going to bring subscribers in. They,
0: they, it's a, I mean, they don't, they don't have Marvel or Star Wars, but they've got Star Trek, so they got something. And they are making, they, I think they've got like five shows in production. They really, literally want there to always be a new episode of Star Trek dropping every single week of the year so people can't ever cancel Paramount.
1: Exactly. And what some listeners might not know is outside of the U.S., if Netflix carries the majority of the international rights, it is branded as a Netflix original. Yeah. So Netflix gets to say, this is our show, when yeah. it is not. But, we, we but... Ma-
0: yeah, we make Star Trek, except Amazon has some other Star Trek shows. They also watch for that, by the way. Star Trek Picard uh, and Star Trek Lower Decks were sold to Amazon. I would imagine that you're going to see the same thing happen there. It's just how big they have to write the check and how much leverage that they've got. But it's the same thing because they 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 farmed out their franchise internationally and now they want it all back.
1: Right. And so if you are Viacom and your whole thing is we need people to recognize us as the Star Trek guys, we need them to know that we are the only producers of Star Trek. This is what we own. Having that globally as a Netflix original makes people think, why did Netflix lose its Netflix show? Is Netflix going to make another Star Trek? And that's really bad if you're trying to get an international play on a bunch of shows. And so what Viacom is hoping for is what Disney is hoped for, where Disney doesn't have to convince anyone that Star Wars and Marvel are theirs. Like they know that. It's just ha- they know that. It's actually ironic when things show up on Netflix in Canada or internationally that's Marvel or, or, or Star Wars. People are like, this isn't. Why isn't this on Disney Plus? Or why is this not only on Disney Plus? Like they're hyper aware of it it Viacom CBS would love one tenth of that and so their whole play is we're going to lose the money on not having this license out on not having Netflix carry it we're going to look like bad guys in the moment in the hopes that as we expand internationally people will be forced to come to us and they'll recognize us as the Star Trek brand and then eventually they'll recognize us again as the Nickelodeon brand or whatever it is that they're doing this is is all betting that there is a consumer base in Europe that is much more okay with a fractured media landscape um, like the U.S. is, where we go, fine, you know what, we're basically paying the same amount we would be for cable for 10,000 different streaming services, but we're going to do it because we're kind of aware of where all of our media is. Europe uh, and Europeans are much better about this, where they're going like, I mean, they have their local um, streaming services, like BBC has has a lot of stuff, and they're very aware of the local stuff, But they get a lot on Netflix and because the way that the rights work, Netflix tends to carry a huge majority of content. And so as that starts to be pulled back, what we're seeing, two things happen. We're seeing people go, well, okay, do I really need the streaming service? Like, do I really need Disney Plus? And the answer was yes, but also Disney rolled out Star to make it even more of an exciting offer. And then two, though… Is this idea of like Viacom and Comcast are, are super aware that it might be a little bit harder to convince Europeans and and other and other uh, and people in other countries to buy into multiple products, which is why we're seeing them in other territories launch uh, at Sky Showtime, which is right. this combination of like Viacom and Comcast content. Where you would go, especially if you're an American, and especially if you're a hyperclued into the media landscape, you'd go, well, you already have Peacock and Paramount Plus. Why aren't you just launching those? But they are. They're doing that in other territories where they yeah. think there's a bigger chance, like the UK and France and Germany are more likely to get that than, um, say, like Romania, where they've, they've kind of established um, data trends. All of which is to say, the idea that Star Trek, hopefully, is enough to get people to sign up, I think is accurate. Is Star Trek enough to get people to sign up and stay there week after week if the new shows are not catching on? If people are kind of like, eh, I don't really need this as much as I want, or whatever it might be? We'll see. That, I think it is. Gamble. I think it's definitely there. Um, but it's it's very it's it's interesting that what's happening now in Europe is essentially all the rights are starting to come back, and this has been happening in the states for years. and it's the most just from a consumer standpoint, taking off my analyst hat from a from a consumer standpoint, it is the thing that drives me the closest to cable every day. It's like it's like I you know you're waiting six months for a show because they don't want this person does want you have the rights to it. You're thinking like, you have to Google where do I watch this? It's changed in the last two weeks. It is absolutely aggravating. But every company for the next few years is going to be trying to make a a, a name for themselves. And then I think in the next five years, we'll start to see them pull back a little bit uh, when they realize we may not be making as much money as we want. So hopefully, to end my point, Jason, get your thoughts on this there could be a chance five, six years from now, Star Trek ends up back on Netflix. Oh, sure. And what, what do you think about that?
0: I Well, I do wonder, well, first off, I just want to say to everybody out there internationally who's frustrated by stuff like this, what Julia said, we've actually been dealing with this kind of ridiculous uh, game in the US for a while now. And now you're being subjected to it. Um, I, th- this too shall pass. I, I think the big question is, Viacom um, CBS has taken their shot, but where do they end up? do they get bought out? Do they give up and just become a content arms dealer? As you like to say, Um, they're taking their shot, right? They're like, no, no, we want to be a global dominant uh, entertainment uh, product. We want to be one of the ones that's competing globally along with Netflix and Amazon and Disney. Like we want to be right there. Um, Good job uh, having that aspiration. We'll see if they can, deliver on it or not and if they can't or if they get bought out at some point they may recede um, it, it remains to be seen right like I, I I think there's been some discussion that the end game ultimately for Viacom CBS may be a merger or a purchase mm-hmm. um, and if that's the case then yeah, they're gonna fold up the tent and go inside some other service but they're trying to make it and and you know obviously the executives there probably know that if they fold up their tent, they won't have jobs anymore so they might as well proceed under the assumption that they're not and that they're going to going to make a go of this international strategy and and yeah i think in the next 10 years you're going to see a lot of consolidation right where they're going to come be companies that don't that can't make a work uh, or it's better off just going back and saying, "Why don't we just sell this content to Netflix and make money, uh, rather than doing the direct to consumer?" Not everybody can be Disney. Not everybody is going to be there mm-hmm. when the music stops and have a chair to <laughs> to sit on and and uh, sell their their uh, their catalog to everybody around the world. So, um, who that is, I don't know. What uh, it was one of our letters from last episode about like what's the the price threshold of a service and how many services can a person have we're all going to find out but in the end there is going to be a limit and that's going to limit how many uh, people are members of individual services and whether there's a lot of churn where you're canceling here. They know that you want to do that. So that's why the strategy is there's always Star Trek. Disney Plus, I am sure their strategy in the long run is that there's always Marvel or Star Wars every week, 52 weeks of the year. I am sure that that is their strategy in the long run because you stop churn. Those people can never cancel. (laughs) You've got them forever. That's the dream. Uh, and and then the question what? is
1: just how do you grow outside of that, right? Once yeah. you have, let's say you've got, let's say there are uh, 150, you know, and this is a question that comes up. It I came up uh, in, in a DM to me after I published my piece, and I think it's a fair question. And it, let's say hypothetically there are 250 million Marvel and Star Wars fans in this world. I imagine there are. And if all of them pay, does you know, Disney Plus is sitting at like 250 million subscribers, right? Like they're at a point where it's like that's that's our revenue. Like we're happy right. to be that home to I them think- and – we continue you know, I, growing.
0: I guess the dream is that, I mean, you do want to lock those people in. And so if you can get them in the door with their franchises and then you can give them enough stuff where they feel happy, they're going to not, you're not going to be cut when the, the time comes where they've got to cut a service. But you, you're right. The other point is like, well, okay, you've got those people, but the, it's a big world. Who else? Who else can you get in the door?
1: And things change, and and this isn't me implying that there is Star Wars or Marvel f- uh, fatigue. There is absolutely no evidence that supports that. If it's it, every new series tends to increase. Um, There are a couple of offshoots that I've seen with our data, with the demand, where the demand was just not as high. Like, for example, demand for What If, which was Marvel's animated show, was not as high as Marvel Live Action, which tends to make a lot of sense, especially with that style. Um, And we saw that demand for Star Wars and the Bad Badge was not as high as for Star Wars Visions, which makes a little bit of sense, Um, all things considered. And so there's, you know, they have less demand. Not every show is going to be WandaVision or Falcon Winter Soldier or Mandalorian, but... To your exact point, if they can get 250 million people to say, yeah, it's final pay for this, then I mean, that's riding pretty high. Now, if you're a company like Disney, you, you, you continuously want to increase. And I think that's when you start to figure out, well, what else can we do that is somewhat related to us, but not really? That could be a Beyonce movie based on The Lion King, right? Like, that could be, like, it's, you figure out what you're doing. I think with Viacom, CBS specifically, if, like, you're trying to figure out what your brand is, I don't know if there's 250, I'm sure there are 250 million Star Trek fans. I don't know how much of them are going to say like, yeah, I am going to consistently pay for Paramount plus because I want this exact show every single week or, or this, whatever. Um, and my point with like, with Disney plus is eventually just it naturally happens. Something else will come back up. Maybe we would go back to being a generation of people who are less interested, not just not uninterested, but less interested in Marvel. And we're back into, I don't know, uh, wizards again, like something happens and we're just on this, or we, we figure out we really like cars or something happens yeah. in that space. And when that happens, you're naturally going to see a bit of demand diminish. You're going to see some uh, churn happen. And so, how do you plan around that? And I think what we're going to see with BICOM CBS is: okay, how do we use Star Trek to get people in the door and figure out everything around that? You know?
0: Well, we feel the pain of everybody out there who does want to see Star Trek and now can't, um, other than all the surreptitious ways that you probably can. Um, that said, most people. I would say, aren't going to do that. Like, piracy is a big deal, but the truth is there are going to be a lot of people who are going to hear that sales pitch for Paramount Plus in February or March in Europe and go, oh, yeah, I want to see the new Star Trek. And... They'll sign up for it. I, I think that's the truth is the, that it will probably work out okay for Paramount+. Plus. The problem is in the meantime that it's really uh, crappy that they're not able to do a simultaneous worldwide release because their platform isn't ready for them yet. They've taken it away from Netflix and they don't have a place to put it yet. Yeah, that's uh, crappy for all the fans out there. So mm-hmm. we feel your pain it's been this stuff's been happening in the US for a while now people. It's terrible. It's <laughs> so, terrible. welcome to our world. Um we I, I wanted to talk to you about um uh, more about Netflix stats because they started releasing top 10 lists. I think we're going to save that for next time, but mm-hmm. uh but that's we've been talking about Netflix stats for a while now and how they shifted to this new metric of a uh, Basically, hours viewed. Um, we'll we'll dive in. You know, they're going to release the numbers every week, so in two weeks we can look at the Netflix charts and have a conversation about that. But I want to get to our letters before we go, so yes. we'll 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 put a pause on that. And I, I, we got a lot of international letters and also some non international letters. Uh, I wanted to start with Roberta, who wrote in. Hi, very much digging this podcast. I'm doing a Mad Men rewatch because I have a Mad Men podcast, of course. Uh, Everybody's got a podcast. I'm sure I could figure out how to work a DVD again, but it's easier (laughs) just to watch on Prime. Fair. You mentioned IMDb TV having ads on the podcast, but tell me, for the love of God, what's with the thing where the spots are inserted so haphazardly it's almost comical? Betty hangs up the phone commercial the phone lands in the receiver and she walks away begin new scene I'm sure there's an explanation for how the commercials are laid in. I would love to know more about it anyway thanks to what you're providing and love to your mother's Roberta uh, it's bad it's like bad a bad ad system and bad time tacking I would imagine is what's going on with IMDB TV like um, either they are not making an attempt or what Roberta suggests my guess is that there is a master list of where the commercial breaks are and and something technical has changed the time code and now it's just off which is the worst right because the commercial breaks are having are happening 30 seconds too soon or 10 seconds too soon but sounds to me like a technical problem with bad metadata and i'm not surprised because anybody who's watched ads on the internet um there seems to be not a lot of care taken right like youtube ads or twitch ads or or even like in the major league baseball package they have the the they insert their ads and they insert their promo videos and it's the same four ads every time and it's the same promo videos every time with the same music every time and like there's not not a lot of care because it's all it's all programmatical as opposed to something on a network where they would actually have like you know, the breaks and an engineer there to make sure that the ads are going in and the breaks on the web. Right. It's all programmatic and, and, and lousy because programmatic ads are lousy. <laughs> <laughs> I, it,
1: the other question that it brings up, Roberta and, and Jason, I wonder how you feel about it is if you something like Amazon and then IMDB TV, that's fun to say fast, yep. um, gets the rights to Mad Men, which is massive, right? This is the, this is the, the, one of the biggest shows that HBO regrets not having made. It's a massive, massive deal to have. And all the commercial breaks are obviously bad, and what that suggests to me is that no one is watching it from the company. From no the company, one is yeah. like, is like, hey, this is bad. We should fix this. This is a huge deal for us. Um, and if they are, there's just clearly either not a solution or just not enough. It- Pressure or not enough interest in like actively fixing that thing, and what we see a lot of what happens with the AVOD services, which is like AVOD is advertisement supported and um, SVOD is subscription supported, With the AVOD is they're just selling ad inventory and yep. they're just trying to get in as many ads as they can to make advertisers happy and because they're giving away the content for free, they're like, we don't really care. People are going to come and watch it. And I think what this says is that it pushes, it's going to push a lot more people to piracy because it's just like, I would rather not deal with this. I would rather find a way to watch this without having these obnoxious breaks. And this is something... Hulu had for a long time and they've gotten better with it and it's something that the Warner Media team at, with HBO Max the HBO Max product team have taken a huge amount of interest in and it's like how do we purposely plan commercials to make the Avod product feel like something that they want to be and not just pirating whatever they're going to potentially pirate right. and so I hope Amazon who has more money than God times 10 uh, invests a little bit of time a little bit of money into figuring out how we they can make those commercials better because I, I agree with you.
0: Having worked in, in corporate media back in the day I will tell you, it smells to me like a situation where, as you said, the ad sales people are the focus and there are no content people because they're just licensing the content and putting it on. And I would say whoever is in charge of the product either is not capable of or not interested in focusing on the product quality. Um, My guess is that it's probably a sad story where there's engineers at IMDb TV who know exactly what this problem is and can't get anybody to support them to fix it. And so it just doesn't get prioritized. And that's the truth is with any kind of media product, if it's bad, it's because there's nobody who's been given the job of making sure the product's not bad. And that sounds crazy, right? Like, why would you do that? How could you have a product and not have somebody to champion it? But you see it again and again is in these media businesses is they end up getting run by the salespeople, and the salespeople don't care about the product. They only care about the money. Am I? Do I sound a little bitter as a former magazine editor? <laughs> this is like every CEO I had. Well, not every CEO. Almost every CEO I ever had was a sales guy. And the good CEOs realized that the job of the CEO was not to be a sales guy, but to think about the big picture. But a lot of them were just salespeople, and that was what they did, and that's all they cared about. And I was the product person. So I cared about the product, but I had to fight really hard. And once you get to a technical situation, which is, you know, a magazine isn't, but a website is, then you've got your product people who are the website people. And they're not the same as the content people. And like, who's Mm -hmm. the champion of the quality of the content? Is it your head of development? Is it your salesperson? In a situation like IMDB TV, there may not be anybody else but the head of technical and the head of sales. And like, are either of those people watching IMDB TV and concerned about the quality of the product? Probably not
1: and i I think this is just to, to and every add...
0: and every app that's bad, I think you could every streaming app that's bad, you could probably say the same thing, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and I I think I I'll, the only thing I'll add to that is that this is why I have brought up and, and Jason and I have talked about this a lot um the fact that Netflix consistently talks about product is yeah. part of the reason why the Netflix experience, by far, it's not perfect, but by far, is the most seamless and the best. Right.
0: And you may not, you may not like it, but you, you have to know that it's intentional, which is a thing. I, I know some people who have worked at Netflix; they, they are obsessive about it in a good yeah. way, I would say. But like when you look at something like Red Notice, which again, we weren't going to talk about top ten lists, but Red Notice premiered with The Rock and mm-hmm. uh, a Ga- Gal Gadot. And I forget who else is in that. Stars. Ryan Fa- Reynolds. Yeah, Ryan Reynolds. Fabulous stars. And by all accounts, it's not a very good movie, but it was number one everywhere in the world because Netflix knows how to push it. It was on every tile. It was in every list. It was everywhere. You could not escape the fact that Red Notice was on Netflix. And that's because they know what they're doing and they care about the product. And And you, may, it, their choices may frustrate you sometimes, but they, they, I have no doubt that all of them are motivated by data and that people are carefully analyzing the product and when we end up with a situation where the product is a mess like uh when hbo max app uh suddenly like wasn't possible on apple tv for a few weeks and they had to revert their code base like it's it's a sign that there's dysfunction in the organization there's usually somebody in the organization who actually does care the challenge is that sometimes they're not listened to Um, because they, something else gets priority. We've got to get this new ad rule system in instead of fixing playback of our content. And believe it or not, that seems like you would never do that. And yet I've seen it happen time and again. So, um, anyway, long way to go, Roberta and saying, my guess is there's a very simple problem at IMDb TV and no one is watching. Mm -hmm. That's probably it. Hmm. Ouch. (laughs) uh Bronwyn wrote in and said I know it's a common thing to talk about existing intellectual property like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings getting readapted and expanded upon but have you heard about this is very timely it's this week the Amazon Prime Wheel of Time adaptation that's coming on Friday I'm in the community and can't gauge if it is breaking out to popular culture I know Jason was not a super fan of the books they are very long Bronwyn. Technically, I haven't read the books. I'm not a super fan of the fact that there are so many of them and that they're very long. (laughs) I haven't actually read them. I have a Kindle book of the entire series that I got for being a Hugo Awards voter, and I can read it whenever I want, but boy, that's a lot of books. Anyway, are you excited for a new fantasy world? Will you watch it? Amazon's putting a lot of money into it, similar to the Lord of the Rings adaptation next year, and I hope it succeeds so we can get the full series. Thanks for the podcast, Bronwyn. Um, wheel of time. I, I mean, everything has a, ch- a challenge of breaking through. Like how do people even know that this, uh, cause it premieres this week. It's like that Ghostbusters movie we were talking about. It's like, <laughs> did you know that it, Amazon spent a lot of money to build a fantasy series around the wheel of time? And it premieres this week on prime. Uh, cause it does. <laughs> Everybody out there. Did you know? I don't know. <laughs> I knew about it cause I have fans, friends who are super fans, but otherwise, I don't know if I, I would have even known.
1: I, I knew about it because I tweeted about the lack of promotion from Netflix on it and was met with a bunch of, um, I will say... Or from Amazon. Uh, uh, yeah, and I will say I was met with, was met with a bunch of passionate um, fans in the community who um, chastised me for not knowing about this. But uh, I think here's the thing with new IP. I, I think a great example is if we look at, you know, the Netflix numbers that were released um, yesterday uh, at, on, you know, which we'll talk about next week in detail or in two weeks from now, I should say. Um, the one of the biggest or the most watched shows according to Netflix is Bridgerton and the other two beneath it were uh, The Witcher and Stranger Things. Stranger Things years of being a it's now become a big IP for Netflix but has years. The Witcher arguably one of the biggest IPs globally in terms of the books and the games Um, but what beat it was Bridgerton and Bridgerton is new IP that found an audience. Now it comes from Shonda Rhimes like there's that kind of group coming in there's a lot of promotion from Netflix but the idea that, like, new IP is extremely exciting because we don't just want rehashes of, no offense to Disney and to, to Viacom, of Star Trek and Star Wars and, and Marvel. Like, we want new stuff. And I think there is this desire still for great fantasy programming. My concern, as has been my concern since 2011, is that everybody's trying to make Game of Thrones. And Game of Thrones yeah. is done. We do not need Game of Thrones anymore. I, I love Game of Thrones. I'm very happy with not having... Anything try to be Game of Thrones that's not set within that universe that Warner's Media is going to do, HBO is going to do. But if we can find a way to do fantasy that's like extremely exciting, extremely cool, I think of Outlander, I think of Vikings, I think of all those shows that I really love. It can be a really exciting moment to have to establish new IP and, and lean into it. I haven't seen the the show, and I am quite interested in Wheel of Time, so I think I'll check out one or two. But I think it's got two big issues going against it. One I think is that people outside of the community are going to compare it to game of thrones and expect it to be a bit of a game of thrones again those people outside the community and and fans who know that it's not that but two i genuinely have not seen much marketing for this from amazon and i don't know if many people are going to remember that it exists and i hope people see and i hope that they put they put it on the top of amazon prime next week for black friday like i hope that that's there for them um but if it's not, it's really hard to remember to open Prime Video, at least for myself. And yep, I know anecdotally too. my friends are the same way. So if it's not there, it's, I'm not going to watch it, which is my long way of saying I think Wheel of Time will find its audience. I think it will be a, a some. I think it will be just enough of a hit for Amazon. I could be wrong. But I have no doubt in my mind that if this was a Netflix original um, with that type of budget, it would probably be one of the biggest shows You of know, the next kind of six to eight months. Yeah. Um,
0: that's the challenge yeah. is getting is getting noticed, uh, and if you're not Netflix, like Amazon, right now Prime Video is not a place I go very often. Like you said, like they're they're. It, I know the Expanse is coming back next month, and I watch that, so I'll be there, and so then I'll I'll be able to see what else they've got. But unless you. That's part of the the challenge of any of these services is your best real estate is in your app, but you've got to get people in your app, which means you need to give them a reason to be there. And then you can cross promote all you want, but you can't just promote something in a void uh, where there's if if they're not if I'm not in the prime video app, I'm not going to see Wheel of Time.
1: I had a great text from a friend. I know we're running long, but I just want to get in I think it sums it up perfectly where we we're talking about wheel of time specifically. And we were talking about how we keep forgetting. We have to check it out, but it's like on our it's all for me, it's on my reminders on, excuse me, my iPhone. I tap my microphone in passion. It's on my <laughs> iPhone and reminders to like rewatch the show. Um, and we are talking about Amazon prime video. And to Jason's point about how like, I just don't really open it and you don't open it. And he said to me, my friend said, I open Amazon prime video when I'm trying to find an old movie to watch. And I go to just watch watch.com and it's on prime video <laughs> yes and like, yes that is it like that for me that is it too it's like oh this is on prime video i guess i'll watch it there but i never ever open the app
0: yeah unless i unless it's a show that's in season like the expanse that that's yes. about or or jack ryan or something like that but other than that uh it's it's tough well i guess uh amazon should probably buy and uh and or invest in uh, just watch and uh, do it that way um <laughs> They did it with IMDb, so anything could happen. Uh, we we have one more letter that I'm going to read. We got a lot more letters, but they're all all about this sort of international thing, and I think we're gonna we're gonna save those and and talk about international stuff. Uh, so if you've got stories about your uh, streaming situation and you're not in the U S. or Canada, or you know, or the U K. basically, or Australia, i have heard from a lot of Australians. Uh, let us know. But um, before we go, one more letter. This is from. ATD Lewis, and it's actually related to what we've been talking about, which is a follow-up to the conversation on Netflix and franchises. I was pretty excited when it was announced that Netflix had purchased Millar World for $25 million in 2017. Mm. I hadn't actually read any Millar World comics. This is Mark Millar, the comic book writer, but I have enjoyed TV and movies that have been made from book and comic IP. TV writers seem to have an advantage when they were able to draw upon stories that have been fleshed out in other forms and the resulting TV or movie scripts can really shine. It was such an interesting acquisition and yet it hasn't gone anywhere. In 2017, the Hollywood Reporter speculated that Jupiter's Legacy was the crown jewel (laughs) of the Millarward acquisition, which would lead to a cinematic universe, but Netflix released Jupiter's Legacy earlier this year and then abruptly canceled it. The cancellation guarantees I'll never watch it. Why bother with a one-off season of an abandoned story? What do you think? Is Netflix organizationally incapable of intentionally seeding a cinematic universe and nurturing it because of its dedication to the algorithm and strategy of churning out content? Or do you think Netflix is recalibrating and will take another shot at a Millar World cinematic universe? And why aren't we seeing more IP deals like the Millar World acquisition? What do you think?
1: Netflix typically doesn't acquire. That's why certain acquisitions have been very interesting. The acquisition of a game studio, for example, um, is very interesting. The acquisition of Millar World and the acquisition of um, where they just spent a billion dollars on Charlie Brown. Uh, not Charlie Brown. Oh, my goodness. Charlie the Chocolate Factory. Like, oh, yeah. That they, act- they
0: bought the entire Roald Dahl estate. Roald Dahl. Right.
1: Yeah. That acquisition, I think, is the most insight we can get into their strategic moves, which is a lot of family based for cinematic universes they can build. Here's what I think happened with Millar World. I think they needed comics with characters and worlds that fans are really into that they could expand upon for TV. Mark Millar does that wonderfully with his team. I think what they try to do is then say, great, we want to make this, we're going to start off by trying to create a cinematic universe because look what disney has done and i will say that i say this with absolutely no fra- i'm not trying to criticize Zack snyder to anyone who's listening who's a fan of him please <laughs> i'm not <laughs> but i think what he had to deal with which is really unfortunate at warner what at warner brothers was okay we need to catch up to disney now we're gonna do it in three years disney had 12 years to like plan out what they were gonna do like they would they planned that out a decade in advance and they took their time and they got there Netflix kind of did the same thing with Malar World and Jupiter's Legacy, where it was, we have this, we're going to launch it, and we're going to build stuff around it. It's like, well, you don't even know if they're going to come. Nobody knew if they were going to come for Iron Man and Captain America and Thor, and they just did, and so they could build upon it. Um, And so what I think Netflix really has to do, if they want to get the franchises going, I was talking to a former Disney exec about this, is they need someone who understands... What it takes to build a franchise, not just build a hit series, not just build out like one or two IP, an actual universe. You need someone like a Kevin Feige, you need someone like a Dave Filoni, you need someone who can say, hey, I know. Who my secondary and tertiary characters are who can then go into a spinoff. I know how to create found family stories to bring audiences in across both male, female, uh, and, and other different um, kind of um, demographics. I know what we need and the timing that we need to make this land, and I need time to do it I can't rush this out um, and, and I think Netflix is realizing that I think they're giving more time to certain creators and I think they're saying how do we we figure this out but Netflix to your exact point um, is guided by this kind of machine where they have to push stuff out my hope is that as Netflix starts to develop more IP in general and as that IP tends to become more uh, produce more revenue kind of as it just naturally does like Stranger Things tends to pull people in and people rewatch old seasons and they and they get back to that point they will then have room to actually try and build something with the time and the guidance and the care needed, and and the visionaries needed. But until they know what that is, and until they have an idea of what how to build that, not just the ingredients to build that, you have to know exactly when to add that spice before you throw stuff into the pan. Like you, you just need to know um, it's going to be hit or miss. And I think we, I think the industry executives look at Marvel and Star Wars, and and to an extent, um, what other. Um, visionaries have done and said I want to create that I'm going to try to replicate it without sitting down to realize what makes that so special and how do we not just recreate that but how do we find characters and universes established or otherwise that we can try to build that within too
0: I would also say that Netflix has made some deals with people who are Mm -hmm. franchise at least oriented Yes. And creatively, some of those have gone well and some of those have gone less well. Uh, the Shonda Rhimes right. deal, I mean, again, these are not what we think of because they're not making superhero things. But like the Shonda Rhimes deal, she knows how to market and expand her shows and reach her yes. audience. Uh, the Ryan Murphy deal, a less successful, I think, um, creatively. But again, it's the same idea, which is you get somebody in there who really knows their stuff and knows how to... how to. Uh, build a product line out. Um, oh my God, uh, Netflix, call Dick Wolf. Uh, don't, or don't, don't. Uh, NBC's never going to let Dick Wolf go. But the idea, right? Like Or uh, um, HBO Max and the CW have Greg Berlanti doing that for a lot of the DC Comics TV stuff. Like, you you do, intellectual property can be important, but having that person uh and it's a risk because they're not you pay for talent and not all of them are gonna are gonna click. But that's those are the people who, if you can find the right people, they're gonna be able to do that even out of nothing or out of scraps of intellect or of intellectual property that you've got laying around. Um the challenge with Millar World is that Mark Millar is a comic book writer and I think not a TV producer. And so they bought some intellectual property from him, but um, I think the challenge is how do you pair that intellectual property with the right person who's got the right vision? Um, and even then, it's it's a crapshoot. It doesn't always work, even if you do everything right. Sometimes people just aren't interested and it's the wrong time or whatever.
1: Yeah, and I think you, you know, Jason, that's an excellent point. Like the Shonda Rhimes example is, is a beautiful example of someone who created a franchise and will continue to make franchises for Netflix that work. Um, and this idea of trying to chase having a superhero thing because people love superheroes is like, yeah, it's, I it's mean, like
0: Game of Thrones. Actually, it's a little bit like that, which is I think you're doing it backward. You're try- you found a hit. You found a thing that was successful and you're trying to clone it. Maybe that's not the right way to do it
1: and, and here, here's the one that I would point to if they, if, if they wanted something like that and what has worked for them and I think there's two really great examples of, of TV producers and writers who have figured out the, the DNA of what makes a good superhero slash comic story work for television um, Netflix is the Umbrella Academy and on Amazon's The Boys where they essentially right. subverted they subverted the idea and they said well we know the, the world knows what a superhero story is what a book story is what we want to get to is the heart of character study and superhero stories are just character study and then the boys one and it satirized it and umbrella academy leaned into the kind of extra dramatics mm-hmm. of, of the of character um but both those shows work and they're both comic books sh- um comic books that translate extremely well and so i hope that whoever netflix works with to figure out what is the creative move if they want to exist in that genre space and kind of build upon it um you know kind of what we saw the duffer brothers do with with stranger things which was lean into the nostalgia of the 80s while also subverting a lot of what it was um I hope that they do because i think netflix with their budget can produce something really great and i think there's so many good um um um, individual comic book stories that can be told and and superhero stories i just think at a a point they're trying to manicure it and comic books are not manicured they are messy and superhero stories are messy because superheroes are messy because they are human stories and humans are messy so
0: All right. Well, if you've got a question for us, email us. Uh, You can just uh, email downstream at relay.fm or you can go to the show page relay.fm slash downstream and click contact or just tweet at us at Mm downstreampod. Love to your mothers. Thanks. And uh, keep sending those questions in. You can find Julia at loudmouthjulia on Twitter. A lot of talk about fun franchise stuff that we don't get to talk about usually here and also down to business stuff. (laughs) <laughs> um, and, of course, parrot at dot com and uh, puck dot news. You got that piece there. Are you going to write more for them now, too?
1: Yeah, yeah it's a it, it's a thing that's going on. Oh. Uh, that's a way to say it. It's a, I'm going to be writing, you know, probably about every few weeks, every couple of weeks, uh, um, a, a newsletter type column. Great. Um, on- will the industry and we'll talk
0: about that here when you write those things it's all it all comes around and all that you can find me jason l on twitter six for everything else and of course every episode of the show again relay.fm slash downstream and we'll be back in two weeks where we'll take an international flavor uh perhaps uh given the letters that we've got and uh send in more letters in the meantime uh julia I'll talk to you in two weeks I hope that you get to
1: enjoy Star Trek, Jason.
0: I I am in the U.S., so I'll I'll do it. And uh, to everybody who is in the U.S., you will get Star Trek and, and Thanksgiving next week. So congratulations to you. Sorry to the rest of the world. That is pretty much the theme of this episode. We'll see you in a fortnight.